Hello, you are listening to a preview of the latest premium edition of Blocked and Reported. This one is about a recent tell-all published by James Bennett, the former editor of the New York Times opinion section who lost his job in the summer of 2020. So you're going to hear part of that, but just a, just part of it. Most of what you're going to hear is me and Jesse arguing about toilets. Uh, so if you want to get to the meat of the episode, if you want to hear the whole thing, join us at blockedandreported.org, where for just $5 a month or up, you get three extra episodes of this podcast, including this one. So enjoy the preview and we will be back soon with the free show. Hey, Katie. Uh, how how are you doing? Jesse, you sound like shit. And uh, normally I would guess this is just your voice, but something's going on. What's happening? Well, do you remember when I was in Colorado and my microphone wouldn't play nice with my laptop and I had to borrow a certain fascist commentator's microphone? Yeah, it was Wesley Yang's. The fascist Wesley yeah. Yang. <laughs> <laughs> um, so remember how I was like, Katie, can you figure out how to have that not happen again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You called me the IT guy. I'm in uh, I'm in my hometown, and I'm in, with that same travel laptop. And it turns out I just sort of forgot to ever fix that. So the recording Weird. you're hearing <laughs> so unlike me. I'm usually so conscientious. I know this recording was made with my uh, Pixel Eight voice app, and I'm surprised. This is not a commercial. This is not a commercial, though. If Google wants to give me money, I'll take it Um, in exchange for positive coverage, of course. Yeah, I was surprised at the quality of Google's voice recorder, but then I sent it to you and you disagreed. So (laughs) (laughs) So we're sorry. We're sorry. Once again, Jesse fucked up. We're sorry. Well, Katie, Katie. We're even because there was a delay. Tell, tell, Tell the people what you did this week. Let's save that for the free episode. Okay, fine. Uh, as for this episode, which is going to sound wonderful, um, pull up the notes. I also wasn't prepared on that front. Okay, so Katie, you prepared an episode about James Bennett, right? Yes, we are finally getting to the much-awaited, advertised weeks ago, James Bennett episode. I think a month ago at this point, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, we're going to talk about James Bennett, but before we get started today... I, Jesse, I just have to bring your attention to something. I saw this on Instagram. It was sent to me by a friend of the pod who will remain nameless. Uh, the account is called The Ruby Fruit, which is a lesbian bar in LA. Although I guess the term lesbian is apparently out because they call themselves sapphically inclined. This is a whole thing. Lesbian bars, they don't use the L word. Sapphically? Yes, I, it's the same thing. I'm definitely sapphically inclined. Yeah, I think everybody is. Even gay men are sapphically inclined. I don't know how that term is more inclusive. Apparently it is, though. Anyway, here's what the post says. It's all text. We wanted to address the recent post we made about putting the toilet seat down. We decided to take this post down, not to erase the fact that it happened, rather to prevent any further harm. We have taken time to listen to trusted members of our community to understand the reasons why the post was harmful to our trans siblings, in particular trans femmes. We are very sorry for the hurt and confusion this has caused. There was a disconnect between our intention and what this post implied. We apologize for making light of something for which we weren't fully aware of the impact because of our privilege as cis women. We have listened and learned why something that felt like a joke to us would carry more weight for someone else. It goes on. Uh, so apparently, I don't know what this what the original post said because they deleted it. The caption now says, edit comments off. But I saw this post a few days ago when the comments were on, and it was mostly people being like, how is it transphobic to say that people should put the seat down? Leaving the seat up is rude no matter your gender identity, which to be clear is true. Like, I have no problem with single stall gender neutral bathrooms rather than 
you know, one designated single stall men's room and one for women. Like I'm in Asheville. I don't think those exist anymore. I haven't seen one since I left the state. Uh, do they have those in New York? Single, you said single stall bat, uh, bathrooms? Yeah, like a single stall men's room and a single stall women's room as opposed to just two single stall bathrooms. Yeah, I mean, it's increasingly common to have like a common sink space and then in, for bigger places and then like individual styles. That- I don't even mean that. Okay. I just mean a regular bathroom with one toilet and then another bathroom with one toilet. It used to be that if you went to a business that had, it would have two bathrooms, two toilets, and one would be a women's room and one would be a men's room, right? Do you remember this? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, oh, you're saying not even labeled. Oh, yeah. They, now they're not labeled. They just say bathroom or like gender neutral toilet or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Things are getting more unisex. There still tends to be men and women's room in New York, often, um, albeit often with labels about how, um, They've gotten more inclusive. Right. Okay. So I don't have a problem with that because it generally means like I don't want to be in a a totally like a multi-stall gender neutral bathroom because I don't want to be next to a man taking a shit. No offense. Uh, But I don't have any problem with things like just a regular bathroom, one toilet, one sink, you know, gender neutral. I don't have a problem with that because it makes the lines shorter usually. Yeah. But I have noticed this recently to the point where I've been complaining about it to basically anybody who will listen to me. There is a fucking epidemic of people leaving the toilet seat up in these bathrooms, and I'm sure it's mostly men rather than trans women because there are more men than there are trans women, but it's disgusting because the woman or the shitter who comes in after you then has to touch the gross toilet seat, and if it's a woman, she's like probably going to use her shoe. But it just spreads bacteria from the bottom of your foot to where you put your butt. This has been Living with Severe OCD with Katie Herzog. Uh, Stay tuned next week. I feel like this is, it's just common knowledge that you're supposed to put the toilet seat down. I mean, do you put the toilet seat down after you use the toilet in public? I mean, it's usually a men's room. So I, it's like, it's usually either urinal or, or if you're doing number two, it's already down. You don't put it back up. So I think this is the thing is that men are not in this habit because they're used to having men's rooms. But now that toilets are increasingly gender neutral, they're doing what they've always done and the people who are impacted are people like me who don't want to touch the fucking toilet seat. It's very rude. And I like this is it's 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 an epidemic. It's worse than COVID. It's worse than long COVID even. It's worse than ADD. It's everywhere. But it oh my God, you're so fired up about this. But if you leave it if you leave it down, then yeah. someone who wants to pee has to touch it. And they have to touch it more because you need to touch care. it to get it to stay up. I don't care. You're okay. Can I just say I did not think I, I mean this in the nicest way. I did not find your complaint interesting until we got to this part. Because now we have to compare what takes more touching the toilet. Setting it down, which just involves a quick tap because then gravity does the rest, or pushing it back up. This is obvious. You're obviously on the wrong side of this. Look. Moving on. Everybody, I want everybody to weigh in in the comments. Maybe we can do a poll. Should the default be toilet seat up or toilet seat down? Just weigh in in the comments. We'll let the people. No, we need to specify. This is a, hy- this is a hypothetical situation where it's a single bathroom. Yeah. Everyone in the world, well, not everyone in the world. I guess in that case, there's more women than yes. men. No, but women. When you combine, when you combine men, no. When you combine oh, women and people shit. who shit, more you are more likely to have people. The need is more likely to be seat down, toilet seat down, than toilet seat up. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. you're right. You're, all right, is this an official correction? No, no. The harm incurred by people who need to touch it to move it up is more severe. It's like three versus Why? one because you can just tap it no. with your foot to get to come down. You you should not be touching the toilet seat with your foot. That's my point. And people are do that. I do it too because you don't want to touch the toilet seat. But just you, the side, you, just the side. It doesn't we, hurt anybody. Just yeah, the you, side. you really think that it's okay. 
it like come on the bacteria on the bottom of your shoe is way more disgusting than the bacteria on the toilet seat oddly i think toilet seats are actually probably pretty clean until you put your shoe on it Okay, this is going to be the uh, subject of our next few episodes, but we should probably leave it at that. I think it's an interesting question. Philosophers, definitely weigh in. Okay, so back to the post. There are very few yeah. comments when before they turn the comments off. There were very few comments on the post calling the bar like turfs because they apparently had some complaint about people leaving the toilet seat up. One person did say that there was a no turf sign at the bar. So I think it's pretty clear that they're not transphobic. Plus, I looked at the rest of their Instagram account and lots of people who <laughs> are not cis women work there uh, at the lesbian bar, the sapically inclined lesbian bar. So I'm not sure why they limited the comments, but I really want to know what the original post said. So if anyone is a follower of the Ruby Fruit and you saw this and you took a screenshot, please send it to me. Yeah. Or did you try like the the Wayback Machine or archive.is? It's Instagram. It It doesn't really work like that. People don't really archive instagram you should know this no no no. wayback machine oh, okay whatever someone look it up on the wayback machine and try to send it um i mean there's not even a link to go to like the post is deleted i don't have a link yeah all right katie let's move on to james bennett's article uh james bennett he is currently the economist lexington columnist uh what I, is that he only uh, writes about lexington i guess so what was his prior position he was the editor of the new york times opinion page that is correct and then uh and then he was he died <laughs> Well, so in a sense, uh, the Times, <laughs> under his uh, reign, the Times published a column by Senator Tom Cotton headlined Send in the Troops on June 3rd, 2020. The column argued that the federal government should send in troops to help quell the violence and disorder that was occurring that summer. Uh, might be hard for some people to remember now, especially people with certain uh, media consumption habits. Things were pretty out of hand. Here's what Cotton wrote. None of this has been changed or corrected. Out, no- the way you pronounce you've been you've been like mispronouncing his name for years now. Cotton. 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 Tom Cotton. How would you say Newton? Uh Newton. Newton. Cotton. Okay, so this is this is your speech impediment, is that you're from Boston. I had a pretty um I shouldn't reveal this because you make fun of me. I had a, a serious list. Lisp. Oh God, it's coming back! Now that I said lisp, I had a serious lisp, but I—it's not a problem anymore. I had—I had a speech impediment. Did you go to speech therapy? What's weird is that apparently my parents didn't care enough. <laughs> Nothing you've said in the last minute has surprised me at all. <laughs> It was bad enough that some people called me shingle in seventh and eighth grade, <laughs> but, but then it just, I don't know how it went away. I did not go to speech therapy because I would have reckoned. I remember in like third grade, some kids, including a friend of mine, would be yanked out of class to learn right. how to talk, and we all we all knew what was up. So I would have remembered that, but I never got that. He went he was yanked out of class to be abused. Right, <laughs> the hot the hot kids. Um, yeah. No, I never got this. I just threw my own grit and determination. Okay, we're getting off track. Yeah, probably your balls drop. <sighs> My balls, when, when, when did that happen? When you were 13, your balls dropped and you lost your list. The column argued <laughs> uh, things were really out of hand that summer. Here's what Cotton wrote. God, I'm so fucking self-conscious now. I was so self-assured until you cut me down to size. Outnumbered police officers encumbered by feckless politicians bore the brunt of the violence. In New York State, rioters ran over officers with cars on at least three occasions. Um, hello, it's called direct action. 
in New York, St- <laughs> in Las Vegas, an officer is in, sorry, I shouldn't joke about this. In, New- in Las Vegas, an officer is in, quote, grave condition after being shot in the head by a rioter. In St. Louis, four police officers were shot as they attempted to disperse a mob throwing bricks and dumping gasoline. In a separate incident, a 77-year-old retired police off captain was shot to death as he tried to stop looters from ransacking a pawn shop. This is, quote, somebody's granddaddy, end quote, a bystander screamed at the scene, dot, dot, dot. Here's what he said that got a lot of attention. These rioters, if not subdued, not only will destroy the livelihoods of law-abiding citizens, but will also take more innocent lives. Many poor communities that still bear scars from past upheavals will be set back still further. One thing above all else will restore order to our streets, an overwhelming show of force to disperse, detain, and ultimately deter lawbreakers. And so on. Uh, he points out that some local law enforcement needs backup, but the state-level politicians won't give it to them, so the federal government should send in the troops. Katie, what happened next? A bunch of New York Times staffers got together on Slack, and they started complaining about this. And then they started tweeting in unison something like, running this article puts... New York Times staffers in danger. Was that was that what they said? Yeah, running this puts black at NY Times staff in danger. This was never... So at the time, it was very hard to pop your head up and be like, so what do you mean by that? The assumption seemed to be that if troops came in, they would kill black... It would be mistaken for rioters. The Black Times journalists would. Right, right. Yeah. Right, because their people, the troops would assume that their giant bulletproof vests that say "press" on them that they were bought from bought them from Amazon. Right. I I I have to say I know some people would be like, "You're being naive, idiot." I don't. I still don't know exactly what this means. It seems to assume that if the National Guard was sent in, they would just like open fire, like a um, yeah. And the the one example I can uh, Kent State involved white. I don't know. I just. We talked about it at the time. As a result well, of this, I mean, giant did the did the did the National Guard go into any cities? Do we have a, a test case here? Okay, yeah. So what happened? Did Black New York Times? Yeah, they went to Ken- they went to Kenosha. They lined up all the minor, all the non-Christian whites, and they right. killed them. We know. Right. Um, no, so I mean, I think part of it is like there there is a history of the National Guard being sent in, like when in the wake of. I rioting. mean, wait, I just got to say, like the the only people who were killed in Kenosha were racist, right? Exactly. Wait, Kenosha. Yes. Who was killed in Kenosha? No, the anti-racist. No, the racist. The guy who was screaming the N-word. Who? Uh, what's his oh, face? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, two people were killed, but yeah, one of them was a very disturbed man who, at one point, okay, fifty percent were were racist. Yeah. yeah. This 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 didn't make sense, but in the climate of twenty twenty, things didn't really need to make sense to gain traction when it came to the media and and this sort of social justice stuff. And as a result of this giant uproar, uh, Bennett, who had really been this guy who had, uh, you know, climbed up through the ranks of the times, albeit with a stop as editor of the Atlantic, he's forced to step down as is uh, Jim Dow, one of his deputies or Jim Dow was reassigned, I should say. Um, So a lot of this pressure built up, not only from that idea that, the Times had put its own black staffers in danger, but also from people endlessly repeating that Tom Cotton had called for troops to basically mow down peaceful protesters. Mm-hmm. And this never happened, right, Katie? Like, I'm not, I'm not having selective amnesia here. There was never a version of this column where Cotton did not separate peaceful protesters from rioters and looters. Yeah, no, this never happened, but everybody was saying that it did, including the New York Times. Yep. We'll get to that, but remarkably, the Times helped spread false information about the Times' own column. Um, and this, you know, this whole James Bennett mm-hmm. thing fit into a pattern of these 
outbreaks of like a little bit of hysteria at the time. So there was also the Donald McNeil Jr. story, which occurred not long after the James Bennett freakout. Uh, folks probably know this by now, but he was a veteran reporter, then seen as one of the top COVID reporters in the country. He was ousted in this rather insane ritualistic fashion because he'd got on this New York Times trip for like rich uh, high school students to bolster their resumes to... It was Peru, right? Yeah, he called them inwards. It was with the soft A. <laughs> he, at one point, he was sitting in, like at their lunch uh, meal with these high school students, and one of them referred to an incident from their school of one student calling the other that word or using the word. And McNeil said, McNeil Jr. said, well, did they say bleep? I'm still not going to say it. And that, that was enough to get him ousted from the Times. That and he was accused of having disrespected a shaman who performed a ritual for the rich college uh, high school students from the states well and he started doing dave Chappelle routines at dinner one night it was very inappropriate <laughs> he did a certain chris rock routine that really <laughs> did not go over well so there was a similar hysteria there there was this absolutely gobsmacking open letter or i forget no sorry it was an internal letter a bunch of time staffers sent to their superiors demanding um mcneil jr be punished further where they basically put their name on a document that seemed to contain at best, unproven allegations against one of their colleagues. So anyway, crazy times at the Times. And about a month ago, The Economist Longform Magazine, 1843, published an extremely juicy article by Bennett, by James Bennett, titled, When the New York Times Lost Its Way, America's Media Should Do More to Equip Readers to Think for Themselves. It sounds kind of fashy to me, but... Um, <laughs> Want to read it with an open mind. So there's a lot of stuff in here, including some very useful peeks at the inner workings of the times during this, this peak period of turmoil and craziness. Um, and we're a little bit late to it, but it was the holidays. Uh, you know, Katie had all these technical snafus she caused, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Jesse lost, lost his mic a few times. <laughs> I repeatedly was not able to plug a mic into a laptop. But this is worth talking about. It's like very scorched. Well, I, I don't know about very. It's pretty scorched earth. I don't know. Can you be pretty scorched earth? Maybe if you scorch part of the earth, but you slightly, yeah, it's slightly, it's slightly scorched earth. You can just tell that Bennett has a lot of built up resentment about what happened to his career and his reputation and the paper he loved. And he just doesn't really see a need to hold back at this point. So it includes a lot of dirt in it. Um, we're going to jump around a bit because if we just went through this piece uh, by piece, there this would be a five part episode. It's 40 pages. <laughs> right. Literally 40 pages. The first part I want to get your reaction to Katie involved. Bennett drawing a line between liberal and illiberal reporters. I'm basically curious whether you agree with his um, his general diagnosis here. He points out like journalists have always been overwhelmingly democratic, which is true. And then he says, quote, but there has been a sea change over the past 10 years in how journalists think about pursuing justice. The reporter's creed used to have a foundation in liberalism in the classic philosophical sense. The exercise of reporters' curiosity and empathy given scope by the constitutional protections of free speech would equip readers with the best information to form their own judgments. The best ideas and arguments would win out. The journalist's role was to be a sworn witness. The reader's role was to be judge and jury. Dot, dot, dot. He writes that... Um, Today, however, journalists, quote, are not out to achieve social justice as the knock-on effect of pursuing truth. They want to pursue it head-on. The term objectivity to them is code for ignoring the poor and weak and cozying up to power, as journalists have often done. So he's basically said in the last 10 years, the, the uh, philosophical roots that journalists see as guiding their work has changed completely. What do you think of that? I mean, obviously, I agree with him. Uh, we've talked about it. This is what we've been talking about on the show for the past almost four years. And so because of that, not that much in this 
article was surprising to me. There was some some new information, but none of it was particularly surprising. And I think he accurately diagnoses the cause here, which is a large part of it is the rise of social media, particularly Twitter, and how this has influenced social dynamics within organizations, specifically media organizations. And it's made colleagues fear each other and made bosses fear their employees. And then there's the aftermath of the Trump election when many, many liberal journalists and publishers started to feel like it was their responsibility to put on their pussy hats and lead the resistance. That's what he's talking about there. It was really like mask off after 2016. And a great example of this, this is worth going back and listening to, is the first recording of On the Media after the Trump election. When you hear Brooke Gladstone say basically like, Objectivity is out, baby. We're here to fight against Donald Trump. And that show has That's exactly that. And that's a, that's a direct quote for anyone who's yeah. wearing. She went, Objectivity is out, baby. Then, it was like sort of the Sinatra type of thing. Yeah, then she started puffing on her vape. But it was very clear from that moment that a lot of people no longer thought that objectivity was a worthy goal, but that objectivity itself is at best problematic and at worst bigoted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's well put. And the other thing, like, that Bennett notes is that, you know, it used to be managers within journalism organizations exerted, like, a degree of power over the young folk. Mm-hmm. Um, and this actually reminded me, someone posted today, this old compilation of incredibly nasty comments professors would leave on students' papers, being like, fuck you, this is trash. I mean, that's not a direct <laughs> quote. <laughs> um, and it, I had that professor. Right. And, and so Bennett says that like the pendulum has swung too far the other totally. way, and now the managers fear the younger journalists. And I think that's true in academia too, where it's like, you don't want a situation where like bosses can be abusive and throw shit at you. You also don't want a situation where the bosses feel like they have no authority over the workers. It's been this upending of the hierarchy. And in, yeah, in some ways, I'm like kind of about it because I spent most of my career on the bottom rungs of whatever organization. But there are obvious... Uh, <laughs> un- under, the, under the iron boot of Dan Savage. Actually, he'd be in <laughs> Yes, he probably would be. He does like that. Um, but yeah, it, it is this this upending of the hierarchy has made bosses fear their staff. And not even the I was just talking today about with a former New York Times journalist for an upcoming episode. And uh, not even fearing the journalists who are like the Pulitzer winning long term veterans of the of the organization, they fear the people who actually contribute the least. Often, yeah, and well, they also fear like their tech workers. Yes, and I think part of what Bennett is getting at in his piece, he explicitly says this, is that reporters became. That's it. That's all you get to hear the rest. Join us at lockedinreported.org. Become a premium subscriber. Thank you, and hope you enjoyed the preview.